When I was a kid, I remember I had this fascination with magic. Uh, I'm not sure what it was, but I remember as an eight-year-old for my birthday party, uh, I had a ventriloquist, which now I think are a little kind of scary, uh, but I had a ventriloquist and a magician come into my birthday party. And I remember at that age, I wanted a, a magic kit. And I remember two things that was in this magic kit. One was uh, disappearing ink. I don't know if anyone remembers that. As a kid, I would love squirting that on my older sister or my mom uh, and, and playing that trick on them. But the other one was invisible ink. I don't know if you've seen this. Uh, it's an invisible ink that you have to have a special light to see. If you've ever been to uh, Chuck E. Cheese or anywhere like that, they put a stamp and you can't see it. Right? It is invisible until there is a special light that is shined on it. Uh, we're starting a series this week called Invisible, Bringing God's Kingdom to Light. Uh, this is kind of a, a sequel to what we have been talking about in Defining Moments. If you were here last week, we talked about the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, uh, Jesus has this defining moment with his disciples. He has done a lot in the life of the disciples, and he has one more moment with them, one more opportunity to speak into their lives. And the call that he puts on their lives is that they will make disciples, that they will make followers of Jesus who look like Jesus. And so we said, you know, sometimes we, we feel this need to do that. We have the desire to have impact and help other people follow Jesus, but we don't always know how. We don't know what that looks like tangibly. And so we're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks. Now, we're just going to look at what it looks like to, to do evangelism. That's this Christian churchy word. Uh, it literally just means evangelism means an advocacy for a cause. Evangelism means an advocacy for a cause. For us, it's specifically for the cause of communicating to people about Jesus and the kingdom of God. Uh, it's interesting, uh, in the early 80s, there was a guy named Guy Kawasaki. Here's a picture of him. Uh, he was a former chief evangelist for Apple. He was an evangelist for a company. And he coined this term evangelism marketing. It was an advanced form of word-of-mouth marketing in which companies develop customers who believe so strongly in a particular product or service that they freely they freely try to convince others to buy and use it. The customers become voluntary advocates, actively spreading the word on behalf of the company. This is fascinating to me because I think that is a great definition of evangelism for us. Someone who believes so strongly in the message of Jesus that we freely, we freely try to convince others, not necessarily to buy it or to use it, to believe it, to accept it, to live into it. And so we see that, right? We see this evangelism marketing. We see it whether it's Amazon or Netflix or Starbucks. We see it in movies. Some of you are great evangelists. I, I didn't even need to see Avengers. I didn't have to go spend three hours. I had enough people tell me about the movie Avengers. I know the restaurants that I should go and eat at because you post and you share about those restaurants. We know if you do CrossFit. We know if you are a runner or use essential oils or a vegan, right? We know those things, right? 
and I use those because I've kind of dabbled in all of those. And so I understand, like, we, it's not hard for us. It's not hard for us to see ourselves as evangelists when we think about products we believe in or we care about or we even want someone else to use because we believe in it. And so the desire for us, I believe, if specifically if you're a follower of Jesus, if God has done something in your life, I think there's something in all of us that we want other people to experience that. That, that you do feel the need to be an evangelist. But, but there's some reasons why we don't do it. And in this series, we're going to talk about some of those barriers. We're going to talk about some of the reasons why uh, we have a hard time doing that. But, but not just evangelism, not just introducing or helping someone experience the kingdom of God and who Jesus is, but also then walking alongside with them, of discipling, of, of ourselves looking more like Jesus, and then helping them look more like Jesus as well. So in Matthew 28, when, when Jesus speaks to his disciples, this was him giving the job to them to be evangelists and to disciple others. It wasn't an option. He didn't say if this applies. It was a clear and realistic expectation that Jesus had for them. He believed they could do it. And as we looked at last week, they did. They really took the mission that God was giving them and they put it into practice. But that wasn't just for them. I believe it's for us as well. And so we're going to try together to figure out what this looks like for us. Uh, this series, I'm going to pull a lot from a guy named Hugh Halter. Uh, Hugh has written some great books, uh, Flesh, Tangible Kingdom. I spoke about him uh, in the past. I had read his books. I had listened to his stuff. I had been at conferences, large conferences, where he was the main stage speaker. This is the guy that I learned had moved into Alton, Illinois. If you remember this story, he opens a coffee shop, and I uh, had, was fangirl. You know, I, I would go over there, and I'd want to see him in post-commons, and when I saw him, I couldn't talk to him. Uh, but over the last year, I've really built a pretty good relationship with, with Hugh. I, I, I go in, and he sits with me, and he encourages me, and he challenges me, and we have these conversations. And so a lot about what we're going we're gonna to talk about are things I've learned from him, uh, not just in his readings, but how he lives it out. And the language he uses about this in the kingdom is that we have to make it tangible to people. We have to make that which is invisible, visible. We have to make the kingdom of God tangible for people. And so this is a great invitation. Uh, this series is not going to be about guilt or what you should be doing or why haven't you been doing those things, but it really is going to be an invitation to be a part of something bigger than yourself. And so we're going to play a part in making God's kingdom visible to those around us. And so here's kind of what we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks. Uh, this is what I believe we have to put into practice if we're going to make this happen, if we're going to make the kingdom visible. Uh, we're going to talk about incarnation today. That's a big word. It's not a word maybe you understand that in a moment. Uh, we're going to look at reputation, God's reputation, what, what we do, how it speaks about God's reputation. How did he develop a good street cred then? And then what has happened and where do we find ourselves now? Conversations with people. What is the conversation that God would want us to have with our neighbors, with our family, with our friends? Then there's this confrontation that will always happen. Uh, it doesn't have to be seen as something negative, but just we all come to this point where we have this need for God. We come to the realization, and that often is a confrontation, not with one another, but often even with God. 
And then finally, there's this thought of transformation then takes place in people's life, that God is transforming us, that you are not done, that God is still doing something in your life, and he wants to do something in the lives of those around us. Now, this is not a program. Uh, people are not a project. We talk about that. I'm, I'm, I think that's very important that we understand as we talk about these two ideas of evangelism and discipleship. No one is a project. Uh, they are neighbors and people we care deeply about. This is about being an advocate for a cause that we care deeply for. And so incarnation, listen, uh, John 1, 14, listen to this scripture. It says this, the word, speaking of Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Uh, There's another writer, Eugene Peterson, who says that, that Jesus came and took place in the neighborhood. He settles in the neighborhood around us. God is no longer up there. God is no longer just speaking through his prophets, but God enters into our world. And this term is incarnation, which just means God in the flesh. This is central to us and what we believe. This is vital that we get a good understanding of what it means for God to come. Uh, This is where we see who God is. We focus on Christmas, which is a beautiful story of God entering into our world as a baby. We just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. But we have to pay attention to the everyday encounters that Jesus had with people. That is where we get a clear picture of who God is. If you wonder who God is, then you read about Jesus. We see how much he loves and cares about people. It wasn't about just knowledge. It wasn't about reading about Jesus. It was encountering the living God. One of my favorite things to do right now with my son, who's eight, is play basketball. Before school, after school, that's all my son. Don't tell him this secret, uh, because I'm not sure he knows yet, uh, but I often let him win, right? Uh, he, I don't think he knows fully yet. I think he believes he can actually beat me. And so every once in a while, I have to just make sure he knows that he can't. And so I, I beat him. Uh, but, but here's the deal. Uh, Cade needs me. Cade needs me to get out of my house and to be present with him. Cade doesn't want me to sit and just tell him how much I care about him. Cade doesn't want to hear that I love him or I believe in him. Uh, Cade needs me to rub shoulders with him, to have fun with him. That is the picture that Cade is going to get of my love for him. It will come in presence, not in just speaking. And so this is what we see God do. We see in the Old Testament, God is painting this picture of even restoration, of reconciliation. He is rescuing his people. But then it is no longer him doing it from out there. It is now Jesus in into the story of our lives, and this changes everything. The, aus- the author of this gospel says, we see his glory, we see who God is, we see it in grace, and it is full of truth. We are seeing God in the flesh. God, who was invisible, has now become visible. Listen to Colossians 1, 10 through 15. This is written by a guy named Paul. He's writing to a group of Christians. He's telling them at the beginning of this Uh, letter that he's praying for them. And this is what he says. As we pray, 
And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. And he's going to list these ways. You would bear fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Paul is saying, look, this is what we hope for you. Paul is saying, this is what I'm praying for your life, that you will bear fruit, good fruit. We will all bear fruit to our lives. We are producing something with our lives. And Paul is saying, my hope is that you will bear good fruit and you will do good works and you will grow in your understanding of who God is. You will be strengthened and you will endure in tough times. You will be patient and you will joyfully give thanks to God. And he has qualified, Paul is saying he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. You are qualified to be a part of the kingdom. And he says he has rescued us. He has rescued us and brought us into that kingdom, this kingdom that is being painted by the picture of Jesus. So we are qualified, not because of ourselves, but because of what God has done to enter into this kingdom for ourselves. He is the one who rescues us. It's not on your own behalf. And Paul is saying, look, this is the very image of the invisible God. We know God because we know Jesus. We have a clear picture of God because we have a clear picture of Jesus. And so this incarnation, God in the flesh, is vital for us to begin to understand evangelism and discipleship. This is instrumental to us if we're going to make visible the kingdom of God. Because if we just concern ourselves with labels, if we just concern ourselves with calling ourselves Christians or defending what we believe— or arguing with people who believe differently or live differently, if we feel like this is a battle that we have to win, we'll miss Jesus. We'll miss the heart of Jesus. And ultimately, we'll miss the opportunity to really love people. Because we will see evangelism and we will see discipleship as something we will win at. We will see it as a battle that we have to wage with people. But ultimately, what we just see Jesus do is come. We see him come and be present in the lives of people. And so this is important. It's important because he comes. He comes and he enters into the story of our humanity. He leaves the perfect paradise of heaven to enter into a broken world, to show people who God is. Who would do such a thing? Why would he do this? And actually, this is a pretty easy answer. The answer is because of people. The answer is because people matter to him. I matter to God. You matter to God. Your neighbor, they matter to God. The conservative, the liberal, the moderate, they matter to God. Whatever label we have for people's sexuality, they matter to God. The outcast, the overlooked, 
the forgotten matter to God. The person who was born and placed in the church nursery and has been a part of the church forever, you matter to God. Those who live in the United States and those who stand at the border to get in to the United States, they matter to God. Rich, poor people matter to God. Jesus comes because we matter. You matter. He comes to prove this to us. He comes because he's longing for things to be right. He's coming for things to return as they were in creation. In the creation story, things are good. He creates things and he says they are good. He creates people and he says they are very good. And then we see the decisions that are made by Adam and Eve and we see the fall and we see the brokenness that happens. And from that moment, from that moment, God is redeeming and attempting to return things back to its original creation. This is why Jesus comes. Jesus comes because he's longing for us to return to him. He comes to redeem us or to buy us back, to gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. Uh, I, I, the property we bought, we have uh, quite a few, uh, we have like two acres and it's a lot of work to maintain. Uh, and one of the things I hate about yard work is, is a weed eater. I don't know if anyone else experiences this. I think I have four weed, eater, weed eaters in my garage because they always break or the, the spool messes up. So I either buy one or my dad buys me a new uh, weed eater. And so uh, I was trying to decide how do I make this weed eater last longer? And so I bought a part that no longer uses, you guys may have no idea what I'm talking about, but they, it uses the line and you have to put it around there and then it just never works like it's supposed to. And so I, I buy this other thing and I think it's going to work. And so I put it on and I start weed eating and it's beautiful and brilliant. I'm thinking this is going to solve all my problems. And then it breaks and it messes up. And what happens was the inside of this little unit was actually not fit tight enough. And so it was just burning rubber, right? And so I, I bring it in and my thought honestly was, how do I still return this, right? How, how do I make it look like I never used it? Will they notice if I put it back in the, the package, right? If I go to handyman, will they give me my money back? And the answer is no. No, because it's broken. And so no one wants to take something back that is broken. But this is the very heart of God. The very heart of God sees our brokenness, who enters into our world and says, you are deeply loved and I want you back. I want you to experience life to the fullness. See, it is God in the flesh that shows us a new life, a new kind of kingdom, a kingdom that offers an abundant life here and now. Not simply when someone dies, but to experience heaven here and now. Not fully, but a glimpse of it. And so Jesus comes and he is making the invisible visible. And so we see that Jesus has to come for us and that he has come for us. And so I don't know what label you'd put on yourself today. I, I, I'm, I'm going to say not every person in this room would consider themselves a follower of Jesus. Uh, maybe you would label yourself as someone who isn't a Christian or you're de-churched and you're just giving church another try. Some of you have really negative feelings about church or Christians You've been hurt, you've been let down, you've been disappointed. Christians have failed to look like Jesus. 
you have desired to see Jesus, but it has not happened for you. My hope is that you'll experience that. My hope is that you'll see God's love for you, that you matter to him. Look, the church will never be perfect. We will never be a perfect church. Uh, It will be our desire to look as much like Jesus as we possibly can. And when we fall short, we will admit our mistakes. But the desire of those of you who call yourself a follower of Jesus should be a desire to look as much as possible like Jesus. And so if you're here and we're talking about evangelism, we're talking about discipleship, I, I want you just in this series as you come, my hope is that you'll get a clear picture, a clearer picture of who God is. And it's a God who enters into my story and your story and our stories collectively. And see, it's a God who pursues. So Adam and Eve screw up. They know they have screwed up, and so they hide. They hide, and what God does not do is he does not wait for them to come back to him. It is in their hiding that God goes to them, and he is calling out and looking for Adam. He is looking for him. He is pursuing him, and he is looking for us. And so, as followers of Jesus, I think it's important for us to not lose sight of the grace that we've experienced. It is important for us to understand our own need for God, that he has come for us as well. So do you understand, as we sang earlier, this great grace of God? Do you understand that you are lost without him? Do you understand that it was in your brokenness that he entered into your story? And see, when we have a clear view of God, we also must have a clear view of ourselves. See, how you see yourself will often determine how you see other people. How you see yourself will give you a clear view of how to see others. I want to read a scripture. It's not going to be on the screen. It's Matthew 23. And it's this warning or woes um, that Jesus speaks to some religious uh, people. It's Matthew 23, 1 through 15. Listen to this uh, from Jesus. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries. They had these boxes, and they would put scripture in boxes, and they would wear them on their arms or on their foreheads. It's based from the Old Testament. And it says they make their phylacteries wide, so they make them big. It makes them look religious. And the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor and banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. But you're not to be called rabbi. For you have only one master, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and it is in heaven. This isn't referring to your father as in dad, but your Lord is what he's saying. Nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, the Christ. The greatest among you will be your servant. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut, you shut the kingdom of heaven 
in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. These are strong words from Jesus. What he's saying is all you care about is how people see you. You want to be seen as religious. You want to be seen as someone who is a part of the kingdom. But deep down, these teachers of the law, they weren't practicing what they believed. And in the end, he's saying, look, you are converting people to a kingdom that is no kingdom. You are making it more difficult for people to follow Jesus. And in these woes, it's these, would you pay attention to this? And then he uses the word hypocrites, which literally means uh, a mask, as in a drama, that you put on different masks depending where you are. And he is giving a warning to these people. And here's what I think has happened. I think the teachers of the law did not have a clear picture of themselves. They did not have a good picture of themselves. They did not see that they were deeply loved by God. They didn't see their need for God. And so it was difficult for them to put into practice something that they had not experienced for themselves. Jesus says there's two great commands. Love God with everything you have. And then he says to love your neighbor as yourself. He says you're only able to love your neighbor as you love yourself. As you know you are deeply loved, you are able to love the people around you. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 20 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We believe that God is reconciling people back to him, that he is buying them back, that there is no one too far gone, that because of Jesus, we can be in right standing with a God who has created us and loved us. And then the author of this says that you have been committed to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We don't simply see people as the world sees them. If you're a follower of Jesus, you see people created in the image of God. The language we use for people, the labels we put on people, what we post about groups of people, listen, friends, it has to stop. It has to. We don't see people as the world sees them. We see all people as created in the image of God, deeply loved. And so when we see ourselves that way, it is much easier to see others that way. And he says that we are an ambassador, an official representative of Jesus, that God is making his appeal to other people through you. And so if we have a difficult time seeing that God has come for us, it'll be extremely difficult to see ourselves as ambassadors 
as a representative of him, that we represent Jesus to a group of people. Real quick, there's a guy named Jonah in the Old Testament. And God comes to Jonah and he sends him to a group of people, the Ninevites. It was those people. It was the, the people who were living life like they shouldn't live. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go and basically warn them. I want you to go and tell them they need to change their lives. And Jonah basically says, no, I'm going to run. And Jonah gets on a boat. He gets thrown over a boat. Uh, this is the story that often is hard to understand. He ends up in the belly of a fish. And in the belly of the fish, he calls out to a God who he believes can save him. And he begs God to do that. And God does. And then we see the call on Jonah doesn't leave him. And we see a response. Listen to this in Jonah 4. It says, but Jonah was greatly displeased and become angry. So Jonah eventually goes to the Ninevites. He does what God asks him to do. The Ninevites respond to the message and want to change their lives. And this is Jonah's response. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, this is not what I said when I was still, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. He ran from Nineveh to go to a different place. He says this, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. He basically went out and pouted. It says, there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh? has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about this great city? You have Jonah who would rather die than people experience his compassion, God's compassion and grace and love. And I think it is because Jonah was unable to see the grace and the love that God had extended to him. And because he was unable to see himself a lot like the Ninevites, he didn't want the Ninevites to experience God's grace and compassion. So we have to not only have a clear view of Jesus, which is highly important, that Jesus has come, that, that he has put on flesh, God has put on flesh to show us the Father, to show, our, show us his great love. So we have to have a clear view of who God is, but then we have to see ourselves clearly as well. Not only our great need for him, but also what he has called us to, to be ambassadors, an official representative of Jesus, to see that we are helping other people see 
an invisible God. Hugh Halter says this, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is not news that we can accept. The gospel is not news that we can accept Jesus into our lives. The gospel is news that Jesus has accepted us into his life and that we can live his life now. That's the choice of incarnation. Not to just be a Christian, but to actually receive God's invitation through Christ to be in the eye of the incarnation storm as he brings redemption to the world. That's worth waking up for. Every day is dripping with meaning. Every person you meet is under divine renovation, and thus every second is open to kingdom opportunity. That is great news. And so the question you have to wrestle with as we end is do you believe or can you believe that God has pursued you and is pursuing you? That you matter. That you matter to God. And so does everyone else. And then when you think of the gospel, when you think of the good news, what you are communicating about God, do you only think of the afterlife? Do you only think about heaven or do you think about how we could possibly help bring the kingdom of God here and now? We'll look more at that in the next couple of weeks. And then where can you begin to make visible the love of God? Where can you begin to make visible the invisible? In your home, with a neighbor, with a coworker, with a widow, with a single mom, with a kid at school who has no parents? Who is it? Who is it that you can make the invisible visible this week? Greg's going to come and we're going to sing our last song. Would you pray? Would you stand as I pray? Father, I'm so thankful that we are not left on our own. That you have come to be with us. The Lord, that we needed to see you. We needed to have a tangible expression of who you are. And I'm thankful for Jesus. And I'm thankful that you are still pursuing us. That you know us and you're entering into our broken lives and our broken world. And you are showing us that we are deeply loved. God, would you help us as followers of yours to see other people in that light? The people are not defined by what they have done or what they do or what they failed to believe, but they are created in your image, God. Would you help us to put into practice what we say we believe? Would you help us to love people well Would you help us to point to a kingdom that is visible and tangible? Or would you help us in areas where we've been judgmental, where we assume things about people that we don't know their story? Would you begin to break our hearts in those areas? Would you help us that we need to repent and to change from those things? God, would you help us as we are disciples of yours to look more and more like you? And when people encounter us, They see us as ambassadors of yours, as advocates for a great cause of the kingdom of heaven here and now. Would you help us to bring light to that truth? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.